Well, we're in a series, meaning we talk about the same topic for a couple weeks at a time. This one's called Grown Up Prayers. Many of you have started praying when you started talking. <laughs> and the question is, have your prayers changed since you were four or five years old now that you're grown? Um, so that's what we're talking about. We're using the Lord's Prayer as kind of the basis of this study. And the part we're getting to today, part three, I believe, is lead us not. It says, lead us not into temptation. So, who leads you into temptation? Who is the who? Well, unfortunately, probably for most of us, often it is you (laughs) that leads you into temptation, if we're honest. Uh, We can't just say the devil made me do it, right? Often it's us that leads us into temptation. So, Jesus often said about most of us, if you're not a Jesus follower, we're just delighted you're here watching. But once you become a Jesus follower, he described us as Jesus followers. Now, implication is if you're following, somebody has to be what? Leading. Absolutely, right? All right, so Jesus said, follow me which would also mean, allow me to lead you, correct? That's basically what he's saying. Now, if I say, hey, come follow me, what is your follow-up question? Where are you going, right? I I do long-distance running, and I was in this race one time in West Virginia. It was in the woods, trail run, 50K, I think it was, 30, yeah, 30 miles plus. Anyway... Trail wasn't marked very well, so I'm following the people in front of me. Well, guess what? They took me astray. And eventually we found the trail again, but we missed one checkpoint. So guess what happens when you get to the end? Doesn't count. So I ran maybe 28 miles of the 30 plus, but I didn't count as finishing because I followed somebody. It took me off the trail. Maybe a better question is, what are we going to be doing? Where we're we going? What are we going to be doing? Now, Jesus taught this radical ethic. His ministry was completely different. It was uh, just kind of so high, so impossible. Um, but it was basically called, we could call it, others first ethic. Now, most of us, or all of us, are selfish people, so it's pretty radical to put others first, isn't it? But the truth is, and this is on your outline, following Jesus, if you're truly following Jesus, eventually it requires you to say no to, your, to yourself. And it's radical. Jesus said, you know, if, if you just look at a woman to lust after you've committed adultery, if you just don't like, hate somebody, you've uh, murdered them. Uh, then he talked about um, turning the other cheek, um, loving your enemies. All this stuff, it just, it's just too hard to do. God, it's just too hard. Can't do it. So, consequently, us, the church in general, dumbed it down, if you will. All right? The church shifted from follow me to something else. What it shifted to is believe in me. You don't have to follow me. Just believe in me, which is a whole lot easier, isn't it? It doesn't require me to do anything. Other than, yeah, I believe. And that's based on probably the most familiar verse in Scripture. 
Most of you probably are familiar, John 3.16, for God so loved the world, that's a go, that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever, what's the word, believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. And that's true. That's true. But if that's as far as you go with your faith, your Christianity, what you and I have become is a, what we call a consumer or a user. I'm just using God to, and we're going to talk about this, clear my conscience, forgive my sin, give me a place in heaven when I die. But that's pretty immature. So if we want to grow up in our Christianity as well as grow up in our prayer life, we've got to get past just believe in me. Jesus said something else someplace else that I want to uh, put on the screen for you. He said, if you want to be my, my disciple, if anyone wants to become my follower, that's the word disciple means, he must what? Not just believe, right? You must deny yourself. That's not even enough. Take up his cross, our cross. What, what's the cross a symbol of? Torture and death, right? Uh, crucifixion, we say. Paul later would write, uh, I am crucified with Christ. So if I'm to be a follower of Christ, I've got to follow him even to the cross. I'm looking forward to crucifixion. Not literal, but, but um, uh, spiritually. And then, of course, follow. So sometimes at sporting events you see plaques with John 3.16 on it. I've even seen some people have got tattoos with John 3.16. I've never seen a sign or a tattoo that says Matthew 16.24. Because we don't like that part, do we? We like, just believe in me. So, Jesus was praying one day, and this, well, he prayed a lot, disciples saw him, but one day they got to thinking, well, man, he's praying different. You know, we've been praying since we were kids in the synagogue, but he prays different than and we pray, and the people we listen to pray, and um, I think Jesus just waited for them to ask, um, Lord, teach us to pray. This was in that Sermon on the Mount, beginning of His ministry. Lord, teach us to pray. Now, nobody's ever asked me to teach them to pray. I've been a pastor a long time. I don't know if you've ever asked somebody to teach you to pray. In fact, if I said to you, you're not doing that right you'd be what? Offended. How dare you tell me how to pray, right? We would even be offended. But disciples decided it was important enough to ask. We're not quite getting this right. Now, of course, I've been teaching this for a couple of weeks. And in my small, one of my small groups this week, we start with uh, sharing time and prayer. And so about a half hour in, I say, okay, let's, let's pray. And everybody just kind of looks at me, and I'm thinking, okay. They said, is this a test? I said, no, it's not a test. I'm not going to judge your praying a case according to Jesus' model here. So I'm not judging anybody, okay? I'm just trying to teach what Jesus uh, tried to teach us. So before he told them how to pray, he said, when you pray, there's a couple things not to do. And the first thing was, when you pray... Don't stand on the street corner just to get the praise of people saying, hey, you're a great prayer. You've already got your reward. He said, no, go into your closet and pray there in private, and God will see you. Then he said, also, don't just babble on, say the same thing over and over, over again. Um, God, God heard you the first time. And then he said this. 
but don't be like them that babble on and on. For your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask Him. Which I lead with the question then, why pray? Because most of my praying is telling God what I want or what I want for other people or what I want from the world. So why pray? Because most of my prayer is just informing God, which basically is stuff He already knows, right? You want your teacher, we've got some school teachers here, you want your school teacher, seventh grade or whatever it is, be teaching second grade stuff? I've already passed that, right? We already know that. Why, why would I, you, you tell me that? Well, why do we need to tell? tell now, he asks, tells us to ask. So that can't be the purpose of prayer because he already knows, right? So what is the purpose of prayer? And this is what we've been kind of uh, focusing on in this series. The purpose of prayer is to align my will, what I want, with God's will, what God wants. And I used the word surrender. Last week I talked about to learn how to swim, you've got to surrender to your instructor who's going to tell you, let go of the side of the pool, get out in the middle, and start moving your arms and feet the way I taught you, right? So the same thing uh, with Christianity, being a Jesus follower. We have to surrender God's will over our will. And so, looking at the prayer, he starts this way. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. So, it's intimate like a father, son to a child to a father, but it's also holy other. God is unique. He's not like any other. He is absolute holy. And then he goes... Next, he says, okay, this submission thing is big, so we're going to start, pretty much start with that after we address God, who He is. May your kingdom come soon. May your will, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Implies, not my will, your will, not mine, be done. Now, one of Jesus' 12 disciples decided this wasn't a good idea. We know him by Judas. And he said, okay, Jesus, it's time that you threw off the Romans and took control Became the you know, king, the Messiah, and all that. So he kind of f- tried to force Jesus' hand. Of course, it didn't work out very well. And actually, it did bring about what Jesus came to do. So this is critical. If you're going to pray what follows, you have to pray this. Otherwise, you basically get stuck. So I believe Jesus is saying, stay here or stay on your knees or stay in the, wherever you are praying until you can pray this. If you can't pray this, again, um, it kind of short-circuits what follows. And I summarize the next part, the give us part, with three different words. Provision, pardon, and protection. And I said, Jesus already promises provide our needs, provide salvation, and, and to take care of us. So it's really more of a declaration of dependence on God for these things. So, provision part is give us today the food we need, give us all the things we need, air, (laughs) breath, um, health, all the things we need. So, I am dependent on God, not only for my food, but daily food, not so much. We all got tons of food, right? Not so much daily food, but daily breath, Life, lots of other things daily, but all these things ultimately, right? I am dependent on God for 
everything. My sanity, my intelligence, everything. I'm dependent on God for that. Then we get to the pardon part, part we all take advantage of, I'm sure. Ask God to forgive us for our sins, forgive us of our sins. But then there's this caveat, there's this catch to this part of the prayer, which most of us don't even realize or don't think about, certainly don't like much. As we have forgiven those who sin against us. Now, when you pray that, I don't. I say, God, forgive me for this. Forgive. I don't add on just as I forgive others. But Jesus said that was important. So, what is he basically saying? If, if you're not doing that, we're just using God as a conscience cleaner. I used that term last week. Just, okay, I feel bad. I feel guilty. I'll confess this. Now I don't feel bad. None of us likes to feel bad. So, it's a conscience cleaner. But Jesus will say to us, if you're not forgiving other people like you're asking me to forgive you, you are guilty of another sin, right? The sin of unforgiveness. So you'd be in a vicious cycle there, right? Oh, I just won't forgive them, so I got to ask forgiveness for that. But I didn't ask forgiveness for that. I'm not forgiving them, so I can't get forg- ask forgiveness for you. So it's a vicious cycle. So he said, just forgive everybody like I've forgiven you. Totally, completely, no conditions. Then we get to the protection part, which we haven't covered yet. And it goes this way. Lead us not into temptation. Here's my question for you. Serious question. Tough question. Do you pray that prayer? Give me some examples. Do you pray that prayer when maybe you're on a diet and you walk into the bakery? Do you pray that prayer? Do you pray that prayer when you've, ah, you skipped your workout and you're sitting there with a bag of chips on the, on, the, on the couch watching TV? Or do you pray that prayer when you're watching something on TV you know you probably shouldn't or clicking on that site on the computer? Do you pray that prayer? Um, next slide, please. Do you pray this? Sometimes... Hopefully not a lot, but sometimes you and I plan to give in, don't we? We plan to lead ourselves into temptation. I could just went by the bakery. I didn't have to stop in the bakery. I could just go by that website. I could, could, but I don't want to. Now, Scripture teaches that Jesus... Actually, was led into temptation. But Jesus experienced all the temptations you and I did. The writer of Hebrews tells us that. So whatever temptation you have, no matter how great it may seem, Jesus understands. In fact, he sympathizes. Hebrews chapter 4 says it this way. For we do not have a high priest, that means a Jesus, Jesus incapable of sympathizing. Now, he can't empathize with us because why? Did Jesus ever sin? No. But he can sympathize because he was tempted with our, with our weakness, but not one, excuse me, but one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet without sin. So, consequently, what can you and I do as we pray? Well, he said, therefore, since Jesus understands, therefore, confidently approach the throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace whenever we need help. You want mercy? You want grace? I do. 
I want grace for the things I need forgiveness for. And I want mercy for the blessings that God gives me I don't deserve. But sometimes you and I, I will say fall into, choose this sin now game and ask forgiveness later. What's that old expression? Um, it's easier to get forgiveness than permission. Um, sin now, God will forgive me. And so, yeah, I'll walk into the bakery or I'll click on that website or I'll, you know, skip working out, whatever it might be. When we do that, when we choose that, we are treating God in a way that's not godly. I put on your outline this. We're not treating Him as somebody holy. Uh, we're treating Him as someone we can manipulate. Okay, God, you know I know I'm going to do this, but you don't want me to. But I know you'll forgive me anyway, so... We're kind of treating him as a, a grandfather. <laughs> uh, good news is this. That God that we can manip- think we can manipulate doesn't exist. I don't think you want a God that you can manipulate, do you? And when we do that and the consequences come of our poor choices, our sins, What do we do? Who do we talk to? We pray. And when we pray then, we don't want that God that we can manipulate. We want that holy God that can forgive us. So, just a reminder, God doesn't wink at sin, even though we do sometimes, don't we? The reason He doesn't is it costs Him too much. We can't comprehend that God sent His only Son, left the glories of heaven, put on the limitations of a body for 30-plus years, dealt with all the crap we have to deal with on this earth. Can I say crap from church? I don't know. <laughs> all right. And then suffered and died for no reason. But God doesn't wake us sin, even though you and I sometimes do. So in the prayer, He says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That word deliver means rescue. I like that word. Rescue me. So, back to that leading ourselves into temptation. Why do we do that? Why do we lead ourselves into temptation? Why do we go places we shouldn't go, look at things we shouldn't do? One of the reasons, multiple reasons, give you one of the reasons. We are convinced, we truly believe, that sin's not that dangerous. I can do this, get forgiveness, move on with life, nothing's changed, right? Let's be honest. Don't we think that? Don't we believe that? So, what leads or who leads us, ourselves, into temptation? Oh, lots of things. Fear, anxiety, uh, lust, uh, bitterness, hatred, resentment, unforgiveness. The list is almost endless. But they can basically boil down into two areas, protection and gratification. I should probably add the word self because we're leading ourself. So self-protection and self-gratification. So consequently, our lives are being centered on who? I just told you. 
self, right? As Jesus followers, who is our life to be centered around? God and others, that other first ethic, right? But that's not natural to us. That's not our nature. But as Jesus followers, that's our goal. And it interferes with that when we have focus on self-protection and self-gratification. Now, both these areas are really poor leaders because they don't lead us into good places, do they? They lead us into poor places, sinful places. We could call these appetites. We've talked about this before. What happens when you feed an appetite? Does it go away? Does it get smaller? What happens? It grows, doesn't it? So, the more we're self-focused on self-protection and self-gratification, the more we become focused on those things. And it becomes like a vicious cycle. And eventually, it just gets, you're on this, this treadmill and you're thinking, why am I here? Actually, I put that on your outline. Life's got to be more than, than just trying to please these appetites and they just keep growing and they're almost impossible to keep pleasing. So what is the purpose of life? Why am I here? What brings meaning significance? Because this certainly doesn't. Probably a better question is this. Who am I here for? Who am I here for? Am I here just for myself to try and, you know, get as much pleasure as, and protect myself? Or is there something more to life? Where does meaning in life come from? Well, I put it on your outline. Meaning requires something from us. It requires a means to an end. That's what the word meaning means. And for it to have real meaning, it has to be an end other than ourselves. We have to live for someone else. And we all know people that live self-centered lives. The people you want to be around a lot, are they very nice people usually? Are they very happy people usually? Now, to have meaning and significance in life, you and I have to live for something bigger than ourselves. Now, the amazing thing is even Jesus said this. Um, one of my mantra verses for my life. For even the Son of Man, meaning Jesus, came not to be served. Wait, 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 wait a minute. You're God, Son of God, and you came here not to be served? If anybody deserved to be served, it would be you. Not only did He come not to be served, but above and beyond that, to give His life as a ransom for many. That's how your life gets meaning. That's how you live a big life instead of a small life. A life just for yourself is a small life. So most people, hopefully, get to the place where they ask that question. There has to be more to life than this. There has to be more to life than self-gratification and protection. There has to be more to life than just me. And so we're talking about being followers of Jesus. So following Jesus, or surrendering, we're using that word, right? is the alternative to being led into temptation. Because Jesus isn't going to lead me into temptation, is He? 
Now, it requires self-control, obviously. We have to make those decisions. But it's so much more than self-control. Is it just believing? If I just believe in Jesus, does that take care of my temptation problem? <laughs> nah, it doesn't. In fact, James, the brother of Jesus, later wrote, faith, belief, without works is dead or useless. So, it's more than just belief. You can put that next slide up. So Jesus, after he taught this and taught some other things in that Sermon on the Mount, he finishes with this. He says, therefore, everyone who hears this and thought it was kind of interesting, or maybe was here and took some notes. That's all you need to do? That's all I need to do? No, he said, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. And most of you know the story is like the man who builds his house on a rock and the storm came. It, it, it survived. Then he goes on and says, everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't obey them is foolish like a man who builds his house on the sand. And when the storm comes, it's washed away. So I put on your outline a statement I came across this week. You can fake being a Christian. You can fake just believer, being a believer. You just got to tell somebody, I'm a believer. But you can't fake being a Jesus follower, can you? Because you have to do what he says. You have to forgive people you don't want to forgive. You have to say no to your self-gratification and self-protection, etc., etc., etc. So I put on your outline... Following Jesus isn't just about going to heaven when we die. That's a great plus, perk. It does not only get us to heaven someday, but it lets us, gets us to be loving today. Isn't that what Jesus said? Other first ethic is loving others. So I, I asked this question. I didn't really have a good answer. What is the opposite of temptation? Untemptation? <laughs> But as I, more and more I thought about it is, we just said it. Jesus just said it. It's love. Love is the opposite of temptation. I love God enough, I'm going to resist temptation. I love my spouse enough, I'm going to resist temptation to be unfaithful to her. I love my kids enough, I love you enough, whatever it might be. But sin's fun sometimes, right? Obviously it must be or we wouldn't do it. I love what Rick Warren says, sin has a kick. That's why we do it. We love the kick. But he said the kick back, back is always worse. What you have to pay for it, its price is higher than what you got. So I put on your outline this. Bottom line is temptation is the doorway to loss. Every time you and I get into temptation, we lose something. We lose trust. We lose joy. We lose peace. We may lose a relationship. We lose something. But choosing to follow Jesus is the doorway to life and all that it provides. It provides trust. It provides joy. It provides peace. It provides meaning. It provides love. The list is almost endless. Now, one thing I just want to point out before we finish. 
is this prayer of Jesus is a pattern, not a formula. Okay, pastor, you tell me how to pray, so I'll just pray this, this, and this. I'll, even, I'll say different words, but I'll, I'll just go through the formula, and then my life will be great. No, 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 no. It's a pattern. It's more about attitude than words. So I summarize it on your outline this way. Jesus' prayer leaves us surrender, right? Your will, not mine. Dependent. We are anyway. We might as well admit it. Forgiven. That's great, right? And protected. So when we pray to be surrendered, Jesus said you will be rewarded. So next steps. We asked this prayer, this shorter question last week. So today, what keeps you and I from praying this prayer? And I'm going to say my instead of our. So my Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give me today the food I need and forgive me my sins as I have forgiven those who sin against me. And lead me not into temptation, but deliver or rescue me from evil. And then most of you know this other finishing part that probably was added later to the original text, but it's powerful. Nothing wrong with it. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I pray that you can pray that prayer. Let me pray with you. Uh, Father God, thank you for what you have to teach us. And help us to be able to surrender first and the rest can follow. To acknowledge our dependence on you in all these areas. And God, if we're honest, sometimes we lead ourselves into temptation. So I guess what we're asking is save us from ourselves. Help us to see sin as dangerous. Not in the short term, certainly in the long term.